Hello everyone, this is Trey Borden, and welcome to this episode of What We Gonna Do. Welcome to another episode of What We Gonna Do. Uh, this week we are covering the art of gathering. So today we have with us Heather White. She's the owner of Trill Fit, a Boston-based fitness studio um, oriented around people of color, women of color, and she's also the head of brand marketing for HubSpot's Inbound Conference, which is a 26,000-plus person conference that is every year in Boston. Um, and she's going to talk to us about how she's been able to pivot her own business, which seeks to offer accessible wellness to women in Boston, mostly women of color who need that fitness and in a safe and affirming space, and how you transition a conference with 26,000 people and some of the most recognizable names and speakers in the world uh, when you're not even allowed to be near one another. Um, so here's Heather. Is that my sweet baby? Hi. Yay. Hi, Heather. How are you, sweetheart? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing okay. You know, can't complain. Figured I would like show Mary J because like that's the spirit of the gatherings that I feel like you're about you know I love it um how are I you like late. like just checking in how has been the last several weeks um so it's two been two years <laughs> <laughs> um it's been nuts I mean uh this time in quarantine has been pretty crazy because you know I had to shut down my business um and dealing with all of like you know, the emotions that go along with that, with the community that we've built over the past five and a half years, like how do we still show up for them? Um, and then at the same time, balancing a, pers a personal life and another job and all of these things. So for me, it's just been like, time has been this incredible currency that I just do not have enough of. And it's been really stressful, but um, I feel like it took me until today or actually, I guess maybe last Saturday into today, and I don't know what day we're on, whether it's 50, 56, 60, I don't know what day we're on, but it took me until now to really feel like I was hitting my stride and like feeling like, okay, like the universe has my back. I'm walking in my purpose. I'm feeling really great about moving forward. Um, right. Things have started to crystallize, which is really, really exciting. So I'm very, very inspired and pumped to move forward because it's like, now is the time. Like I, fe I feel like like a catalyst, and I feel the push to move forward and to see what's next. Um, and I feel good about that, even though from a city and state level, we we still are in the dark on a lot of things. But I feel well. They just let us know that our our quarantine is about to be at least three more months. So I feel like I am glad that I'm in this group. I'm glad that I'm doing things like this because we truly do need guidance about you know, what does the world look like when my hair is uh, three feet circumference? Um, <laughs> I, uh, how, what, how am I showing up to these events? A hundred percent. And what is an event, right? Three months from now, when everyone is still home in LA, what is an event? What is a gathering? Um, so exactly. I'm really excited to chat with you about that today. Oh, of course, girl. Any excuse to see your shining bright face, I will take it. I just it. put on some face oil too. I was like, <laughs> let me hang up with my lawyer. I was like, let me just make sure we're we looking right, and then we gonna talk about it. Um, so why don't we, just for people who are not familiar with you, just why don't we talk about your role um, with Trill Fit? So introduce yourself and what that is. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Heather White, and I'm the founder of TrillFit. We are a boutique fitness and wellness business based in Boston, and our mission is to decolonize the wellness industry. That's um, right. So it's a lot of work, the, the capital W work um, that needs to happen and to continue to happen over and over again to accomplish our goals. But we started five years ago just as a pop-up here in Boston. And over those years, we've built an incredible community here where they truly feel seen, they feel heard, they feel represented um, in an industry that is so built on uh, the idea that you're not enough, that you lack, that you need to look better, that you should look like what this advertisement says that you should look like, right? So to have and that advertisement's space, white. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so to have a space that's literally built to say like, oh, you're coming in with a bonnet? cool. It's a hijab. Cool. Oh, you're a big girl. Cool. Right? Like you're non-binary. Amazing. To have a space like that, that's the biggest thing that people give us feedback on is that they've just never seen a space so radically inclusive before. So what we've taken and what we've realized through this COVID moment is the scariest and most harmful part of COVID is that it's truly amplifying and magnifying all of the health disparities that we already knew about and talked about, right? But the people who are suffering the most, the people who are feeling like sacrificial lambs, the people who are dying the most, it's mainly black and brown people, right? And so even though Trillfit is a corporation and a business, what I have told our team is that if if by the time we're ready to reopen and everyone in Roxbury is dead because they're all essential workers and they all got sick and they didn't have enough support or access to services to be able to not just thrive, but literally survive during this pandemic, there's no reason for us to exist, right? Like our, our people are not there. Um, and so that's the work that we're doing now. And so the work has also translated into a charge um, a charge to fellow business owners and fellow wellness business owners that, you know, we have to do more than just sell our product, right? In a time when so many people need wellness, um, when so many people are not well, when so many people are isolated and anxious, that it is our responsibility to provide those services and do whatever we can to save those folks' life. And then it needs to be more about just, oh, I'm buying this place and I'm in a gentrifying neighborhood and I'm going to make a quick profit, right? It has to be about how am I leaving something behind um, that can truly support the people that I'm here with? How can I support my neighbors? So right. we, like, that's, that's how community has sort of evolved for us. Um, and we've taken a really hard line in the sand with it be because of COVID. So, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of things you said. First of all, the fact, I mean, I've been to your studio. It is bomb. And I think that like <laughs> the physical space of it and kind of seeing the people around you is really key to the sense of community that you have fostered. And so I think that I want to talk about what it means for you to kind of maintain that without the space. And then I also want to talk about just like from, a, I mean, one thing that TrillFit does is it, it definitely allows people the opportunity to kind of have physical movement and wellness. But I think the one thing you touched upon as well, uh, that's also really under attack during this time is like the sense of community, the sense of belonging, the sense of the lack of isolation. And I think that mm -hmm. that is another huge challenge that kind of this virtual environment presents. So um, talk about translating the physical virtual and then talk about having community be based kind of whether it's virtual or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love, I love that we're on Zoom right now because I think that Zoom has an interesting functionality that has been 
key for us. So when we made the first pivot to digital, um, part of the reason why we were successful is one, because we, like, we did it fast. We closed the studio on March 23rd, took a selfie in my car afterwards because I was wrecked. Um, and then by that Wednesday, we had our first round of classes uploaded to YouTube so that people could access them, right? Um, and we started with on-demand programming and we basically were like, okay, we want to bring TrillFit to as many people as possible. And we know that this is a stressful time. So we're going to keep all of this programming free. So first we started by just uploading these videos to YouTube and sharing them, getting great results, all of that stuff. That by the next week or the end of that first just, week. Just to clarify, Heather, you were pre-recording sessions and then posting them. So this was not exactly. live content. This was okay. Exactly. And this was, this was right when the industry started rolling them out. At this time, no one had really done a live class yet, right? Because studios were still open. When we closed on Sunday, um, some of the other yoga studios in our area and in Boston, they didn't close until Thursday. So we were also wrestling with the decision like, like we, like we were, we were, we were really, um, we were really wrestling it because the days before we closed, we were on a 50 day streak of sold out classes, right? Um, like an incredible accomplishment. And because folks were talking about COVID in the news, but not every place had been shut down yet, right? The stay at home orders hadn't been placed, but people still had that anxiety. I would watch people coming in the door and I would, I would see it on their faces, just the stress and the emotion and how they were feeling. And when they would be in class in the studio, it was this wild, just different energy. People needed the movement, people needed the space because folks were literally like exercising the anxiety outside of their bodies. And I mean, exercise, right. like, like, like exorcist, right? Like literally physically, like ripping the anxiety out of them so that they might go home and feel better. When we were translating the experience to digital, I kept thinking like people are going to need this more than ever because the news is just going to get worse and worse. And once people start dying, it's going to get worse and worse. And how can we be there for people? And we chose Zoom intentionally because of the gallery. I was like, going to ask you, what platform did you use? Okay. Yeah, the gallery function. And this is not a Zoom ad at all. They don't, they don't sponsor us. They don't even have an Instagram. Um, but it was really important for us because we wanted folks to be able to see each other. Right. Once we, after we started doing our live classes, we saw a couple of other folks go live, primarily using Instagram live and using a lot of one way communication. Right. You can't build community if you're just talking at people. Right. And in a time when folks are lonely and scared and isolated and anxious, they need to have the ability to talk back to you and to know that they're being heard. And for us, Zoom was the best option that we had to be able to do that. So we started welcoming people in the classes. We'd have people go on gallery view so you could see everyone. We'd encourage people, turn on your cameras if you want. If not, that's cool. And we would personally welcome every single person into the class and we'd chop it up with them and kiki and say goodbye to them as they left. That's what started that digital conversation. And we'd get the chat like popping during class. Like people would be talking back and forth like, oh, I love this song or ouch, that, that. They're like, how are you chatting when you're supposed to be moving? But like, Exa I like the participation. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, and we'd be joking with them and stuff. And so fast forward to uh, last Sunday, last Sunday, last Saturday. Honestly, what's a day anymore? It's flat. Literally and like Monday, time. Sunday, Saturday is Friday is Thursday. You know? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but 
the other day we held a fundraiser. We called it Trill Fit for the People. Right. Um, and we said during this time, we want to raise money for our nonprofit partners to ensure that our community survives. We started on Zoom at 930. We ended at 7 p.m. And halfway, actually more than halfway, this was like, I don't know, 3 or 4 p.m., the most beautiful thing happened. We were playing music in between the classes. And in between the classes, we had everybody, like just on gallery view, we encouraged them to do the same thing. Um, one person started dancing to one of the songs that we were playing. Then another person started dancing. Then we all started dancing and it turned into an impromptu dance party, right? People were coming up to the screen. We were playing Whitney Houston, like Lizzo, like a bunch of stuff. People were Mary. singing. Listen, Mary, like all of it. We were singing our hearts out into the screen. And then Amelia, who's on our team, she started spotlighting people again with the Zoom functionality. So you saw sis dancing with her cat over there. You saw people with their kids. You saw all, it was like a music video, right? Like you saw all of this incredible movement happening, unprompted, organic, on a screen, right? And so for a lot of people who are struggling with how, how do you make community? How do you maintain community, especially screen to screen? there's a way to do it and there's a very beautiful way that you can like realize it and accept it and you know monthly we have like t over ten thousand people coming into our experiences now which is incredible and a couple of those things that we've done have really fostered that connection so you i see people in chat now being like oh hey girl i didn't see you in class the other day it's good to see you or guess who i brought i brought in my cousin or so and so is coming in from singapore and i met them at an exchange program like two years ago this is awesome and we're just seeing that community grow and folks are, are latching on to the people that they're meeting in class in a different way because they need that human connection. Right. And they've been able to find it, which has been crazy to see. So I think that like, this is one of the really interesting things about, you know, spotlighting a business like yours, because it is so, you know, typically it is so community based. Now you talk about Roxbury. These are people who have really needed to see a business like this exist where they feel seen and they feel like there's community and they feel like there's people like them that they can support. Um, but I also think that this virtual environment, like I can go to class, you know, mm -hmm. like it really opens up the people who can kind of get a taste of that. So what would you say are like the best opportunities? Like how will you, like whenever Trillfit's allowed to operate normally, how will you incorporate this kind of new digital community that you've based into your ongoing operations? Yeah, we're going to scale it like crazy because Trillfit went global overnight, right? So there's a client, we have Charlie, she phones in every single day from the UK, right? There's folks from Australia coming, like plenty of different places. Um, and so this is going to become companion programming to what we're doing uh, in studio. And we're talking about the reopening right now, and it's gonna have to be a hybrid model, right? Because you're gonna have a portion of people who have really missed it and can't wait to go. We also have all of the government regulations and safety precautions that we need to take. So obviously there'll be a limited amount of spots for folks you know, to be able to take that. And we don't wanna dissuade the rest of the audience who has already come into these services and folks who just point blank, they might not feel comfortable being around people anymore, right? right. We're being That's a socialized. Huge yeah, like particularly you know, kind of like half naked and sweating, you exactly. know, and twirling their hair around. Exactly, right? Twerking. Like it's it's bodily fluids. And so, you know, I, I look out on my street and I see a long line of folks six feet apart from each other, like waiting to get groceries. Just because businesses and the economy starts to open again doesn't mean that folks will physically feel able or comfortable to being within six feet of other people because until there's a vaccine, right? There will still be anxiety and nervousness and like 
all of that stuff. So we're building out a hybrid model right now to say like, if you don't feel like leaving your house, that's okay. We have a solution for you. And if you do, here's what the safest opportunity we have for you is. And we will do our best um, to maintain those standards so that when you come here, you're safe and that you can still have your experience. And then of course, like, you know, obviously during this crisis, it's been very, uh, magnanimous of you to provide these services for free. Cause like you said, if, if people are dying, then we don't have a business, but how do you make decisions then about how to incorporate that into your business model moving forward? So what does that look like And kind of like, what decisions were you thinking about? Yeah. So because everything is free right now, it gives us rain, like you're saying, to test completely new class formats that we wouldn't have been able to do in the studio, right? So first two weeks of classes, we noticed mad people are bringing their kids to class because their kids are home, they're at home. And as a response to that, we developed Trill Fit Family, which is a class specifically made for parents, caretakers, whomever, and children together so that caretakers feel like they can get a workout um, and that their kids have something to do as well. It starts with jokes to like encourage communication, community, and all of those elements. And it ends in affirmation because again, like depending on the, the age level of your child, like they don't necessarily know what's going on, but they know something's different because they're either like, oh, like my parents or my caretakers are home all the time or they're not, or I'm seeing people wearing masks and what is that? And we use the affirmations at the end to provide a really grounding experience. We're also testing out our seated class offerings and things like that. So uh, the best thing about this time is we can test literally anything that we want. We can refine it and perfect it and use, use our audience as a built-in focus group to then launch it some other way. At the same time, we do have to remain profitable to be able to offer all of these services for free because point blank, we need to stay in business. One of the biggest things, um, one of the biggest blessings for us is most of our members are still paying their memberships, right? Wow, We've I was given, gonna ask about that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we've given folks the option like, hey, like you can cancel, no questions asked. You can suspend your account and like support by paying a membership hold fee, or you can keep the membership exactly as it is and understand that we're keeping this digital programming free for our neighbors and our community and we're doing everything that we can to give you an experience that was like the studio in terms of three classes a day, but knowing that we're trying our best and we're still paying all of our staff's full salaries. Um, wow. Like 80% of our members have kept paying their memberships throughout. And, that's, and that, really, that really speaks, that's important to, to kind of dwell upon a little bit because that means that you have actually fostered a community. You're not just like, check a check in a box for these people like they are paying for you to exist as exactly. well and i think a lot of businesses especially ones around parties and events or whatever it's like the ones that you see kind of making it are because the people that they have served have kind of gathered around them and said we need you to make it and so exactly. i think that's a testament to what you've been providing the community there that's awesome and go that's heather also why <laughs> that's also though why like values and mission is so important right and like having a strong brand because we get letters from people every day that are just like like thank you for providing this and like we know we know the steps that you're taking and we know how hard it is for you so we're going to do what we can to help you um to be able to have that connection i think that goes back to your earlier comment about how do you build community right and and how do you do it in this time folks see the efforts that we're taking to make sure that folks are seen and heard, especially during this time. And they're like, this is what I want to support because if you're a faceless corporation 
you know, like that's just taking folks' money. That makes it so much, people are just like, nope, that's not in my budget anymore. Can't do it. But if you actually care and you feel like, okay, I know these people, I support them and I believe in this mission, it makes it a lot harder for them um, to easily separate that connection. It also is really important, especially because like, I think that what's going to be a real challenge, I mean, look at me, you know how much I go out, you know how much I'm at things. Honestly. Uh, The things that I, I mean, when I talk about the things that I'm nervous about attending, it's like stranger danger. It's like, I will go to a dinner party of friends that I trust, no question, most likely. Will I go to a random, will I go to Coachella? Will I go to any gay bar? <laughs> like, like where yeah. I'm going to run into people? I don't know what the hell they do. So I think for a business like yours, yeah. community is so important because A, they want you to exist, but they also want to be able to trust and be on the same page as other patrons. And if you feel exactly. like everyone is part of a family, you're much more likely to actually want to go and do that in-person thing than if you're just like, I don't know who the hell is going to be here. Exactly. And trust, trust is that central piece of it. And that's how we're thinking about reopening too, because like what we've said as a team is we're absolutely not going to be the first business to reopen because we like, until we have a vaccine, we cannot be certain, right? Who has the virus and who doesn't, right? And we don't want to create an unsafe environment for our patrons to be on because we know that they trust us. So part of our bridge plan is how do we use the outdoors, right? Like, what are, what are all those other elements that can become a bridge so that we can still answer the need, but our clients trust us with their bodies, their safety, and their health. And during this time, that's more important than ever. And we don't take that lightly. So I would also like exercise healthy caution and skepticism for places that are immediately opening, right? We saw what happened in Georgia, right? Reopened tens of thousands of new cases in a, in a week, Please. right? And it shows um, a so disregard really for your actual customer. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's my like, opinion, but I think that's the right opinion. <laughs> no, like if you as a consumer, right? Like if you, if you wouldn't immediately like go back to your nail salon or wherever, then like if you, if you as an owner would do that and you know that as a consumer, you wouldn't, there's a problem with that, right? And you have to, you have to address it. Well, I'm so excited to hear about, you know, your baby trophy because it was, you know, one of the businesses that you worry about the most, like this is a place that people have to physically go to enjoy it. It's about mm-hmm. wellness, and, but it's also about kind of contact. And so I think the fact that you've been able to grow your community immensely is a testament to your leadership. And also like that this is really necessary. People, especially in our community, I'm talking about people of color, like yeah. we don't have enough trail fits. So we can't afford to lose the very few we have. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think it's an excellent opportunity to kind of broaden your scope. So let's switch gears to talk about like your other gig, which is yeah. a much larger event to have to wrangle, which is uh, HubSpot's inbound conference. So can you explain what that is and your role with that? Absolutely. Please? So I'm the head of marketing for inbound, um, which is an event experience that's hosted with love by HubSpot. And we have it annually. And the audiences that we bring in are you mean last year we had 26,000, over 26,000 registered attendees, right? So you're talking about a massive event at scale. Obviously during this time, it makes it really challenging. And these are a lot of active conversations that we've been having internally where again, the same thing. Um, If folks don't feel comfortable being within six feet of somebody else, what does that look like from a a learning and educational event perspective, right? When When you're in, a convention center, right? 
that is built on people thriving and buzzing around and walking around and interacting with each other and meeting each other and happy hours. It's really, really difficult. Um, here in Boston, even more of a challenge is right now, the place where we are holding the event, the Boston Convention Center um, in the seaport, it's being used as a field hospital for COVID. Wow. So that, yeah, so that just, that presents with it an entire other level of consideration and planning and, you know, how do, like, how do you move forward, right? Because as the city is talking about gatherings and I mean, talking about it or not talking about it or, you know, just making veiled references, we know that there's this other story going on where it's like, okay, this, this is a place that is being used to care for the sick. And right. And that's a logistical that. matter that's like outside of what anyone who's potentially participating or kind of part of the programming knows. You're like, actually, like, we can't even do this where we want because it's a hospital. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's like, how do you how do you balance that messaging? Right. How do you how do you stay true to like your role as a as a marketer <laughs> or a person, you know, working for this event to sell passes for it, knowing that this location is being used for something else? literally, how do you do it? How do you inspire confidence and trust with your community on a larger level? Um, knowing that once you're talking about scale like this, this is not- um, There's not like a ton of venues. Yeah, and it's also, it's not like, it's not like with TrillFit where it's like, you're talking about one, one neighborhood, right? That you can easily rally behind and like, yes, it's become global and all of those things, but this is 26,000 professionals from around the world, right? who have varying levels of knowledge of what is specifically happening in Boston right now, because it's a very international audience. Um, and so how do you deal with it on that level where it's like, okay, like 26,000 people's bodies, like if, right, just from a logistical and operational perspective, if you had them all sit six feet away from each other, actually, how many people can you fit in the BC? You're in Vermont. <laughs> no, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, it's like, okay, like, like, what does that do to capacity? How does that, how does that change all that stuff? What now needs to be reimagined or what expectations need to be reset because of this? Yes. And then, and, you know, it's also about kind of like when you have such high profile people, like, how do you tell Michelle Obama, come to this convention center and there's gonna be 26,000 people and we're gonna make sure you're safe. So I think exactly. that even from just the, perfect, the, the attraction of the people that make people wanna come, that's a huge consideration. So I know that you guys have been mulling over all types of ways to pivot. I know you haven't announced anything publicly, but this will air in two weeks. So is there anything that you can tell us about your strategy that when this airs will not be news? <laughs> um, I want you to be able to speak as candidly as possible about what you guys' process is. Yeah, yeah. So I would say right now we're still very much in the ideation phase. Um, and we're thinking through how, how can we re reimagine the event that we wanted to have, which was an in-person event, and how can we reimagine it and co-create it with our attendees and our community and our fan base to something that's appropriate for the time. And so mm -hmm. obviously there's the sense that this will not be happening in person if the BCEC is still being used as a hospital, right? The location that we've secured just will not be available. Um, and the safety of- Or you won't know if it's available or not far enough right. in advance to count on it, I think right. is another huge. Right. And again, like this, the safety and well-being of, of our attendees, right? This is, an, this is an expensive event that you fly across the world for to learn at, to basically be able to go back home and like supercharge your career. A lot of things have changed for folks. 
so many people are being furloughed, laid off, right? Like the economy is completely different. We are also doing recession planning, right? Like what does, like how do events like inbound succeed and move forward in the face of recession? Um, and or so- Or like no business travel. Exactly, exactly, right? And so we like, that's a big thing. A lot of folks, like look at LA, like you said, right? So everyone's at home through July, right? The planned date for this event is August. There are plenty of organizations that are keeping folks remote through the end of the year. Twitter just announced that um, a couple of days ago, I think. So if- Twitter just announced it. They're saying y'all can work home forever. <laughs> Yo, see? So it's-, it's so, I mean, like, like that's, what, that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. And so if corporate travel is not a thing anymore, if corporate bans continue, if everyone's working remotely, the experience needs to completely reinvent itself. And so I'm very hopeful that by the time this airs, uh, the decision that we may or may not have made that we're close to will be announced. But as with everything COVID related, it's, it's on a rolling basis, but you know, well, it's like every day you're like, what's my universe today? You know, hundred percent. Yeah. That's what we're calling this what we go and do because that's evergreen because literally every day it's what I say when I get up. I mean, Um, honestly, we have meetings with the co-founders of HubSpot weekly and it's literally sitting down there like, okay, what we go and do? And it's like, well, here's the information that we have today and here's what we can do. And they're like, I bet. And then we have the meeting and we're like, okay, here's what's changed. Here's what hasn't changed. Here's what we still haven't heard, but here's where we at. And it's just a rolling conversation. So that's something to get used to as well. The uncertainty. So one of the things I think is really interesting about this period is that it is very difficult to uh, replicate an in-person experience online, especially for something that is like a giant conference where like, you know, yes, there's great panels and speakers and maybe the food is or something like that. But typically the reason you fly your ass across the world is who you might unexpectedly meet or run into, you know? So it's like that kind of uh, kismity uh, collisions, like that's what a conference creates. So like, how do you create that kind of effect in a, in a virtual environment? Because that's, you know, pretty much, how do you create spontaneity virtually? Yeah, so here's what I'll say I'm thinking a lot about. Um, I'm looking at what Fortnite is doing because I think they do an incredible mm. job, right? So this is a game Fortnite is the kind of big e-games platform. Exactly. I've never played it, but I have a plan. I have a plan I, too. I didn't even know if I was saying that correctly, but yes. <laughs> uh, how do you page. say Fortnite? Um, <laughs> but so yeah, like they they have been able to build massive community within an e-gaming platform, and they've been able to monetize it, right? So. A couple weeks ago, um, Travis Scott performed as I an did avatar within the platform with over 12 million people attending virtually, right? And you have people- so That was a live people. concert in Fortnite? In, inside of I inside saw of the I saw my friend storing it. I was like, is, is this a mega yes. boss? <laughs> <laughs> it was literally a concert within the gaming platform that people were buying outfits for within the platform. So it's like people were like skinning their avatars with all of this new stuff to be able to meet each other at the concert that Travis Scott did inside the platform where he debuted new music, right? That completely bends and changes the event model because you're on your headsets, you have like whatever your connection points with, you know, the other people that play the game with you and all of that stuff. And now you're taking a break from the battle that you were just fighting or you won the battle. And then now it's like this lit celebration. Um, And so I think there's a lot of companies who are doing it in a really interesting way. I would say from the industry event perspective, 
just putting videos online is not going to work, right? Just uploading to YouTube and just having content there and hoping that people react to it isn't going to work. Um, there needs to be an aspect of co-creation. There needs to be an, an aspect of folks talking to each other because um, the value proposition for events like this, it's not just what you learn, but to your point, Trey, it's the people that you meet and interact with and the deals that you make. And unless you have an ability within whatever the type of platform or space that you have to be able to meet each other and have those conversations, whether it's through chat, whether you're like dapping each other in the game or whatever, like those are now the new uh, models of currency for, for interperson connection within this platform. Uh, so I've seen a couple of agencies that are working on really, really, really cool shit. Um, but like looking at e-gaming just as an industry, this is the way that it's gonna, it's going to move forward because I mean, like their target consumer into it, teens are playing this all day right. running up. We're the ones who are having cards. to learn about this. Exactly. <laughs> I feel not old. I'm like, okay, so like, <laughs> when are we going to play this Fortnite game? How do we do it? What do we need? I didn't even know what the game was. I knew the name Fortnite, but it's like, you're fighting battles with like a hundred other people at the same time. I don't know what the battles are for. Or and you're, and people are watching people play this. I mean, so we exactly. have a whole episode that's coming up about sports where I'm like, what do we do when there's no sports? And they're like, well, there's sports actually. They're going on really in effect right now and they're just online. I'm like, well. Yeah. And well, I mean like, you know, literally we'll be at home, Nick will turn on ESPN and it's like folks are watching athletes play like NBA Jam. Right. And they're, and they're showing that as, they're showing that. I can that. do they're showing that on TV, right? Because there's no sports, right? So eventually there's going to be a moment when it's like either your people are going to open up and play to empty stadiums and empty fields. And the question is like, what does that do to the game? How much of audience interaction and spirit and community, how much of that does that drive you to be a better athlete? They can't wait for a spectator. That. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's going to be so interesting. Um, Fenway just announced like they're going to open the baseball season, I think in July, but again, no fans. So like, what is, what is that, what does that do? Right. And what's your experience watching at home to make you feel like you could have been there? Every industry mm -hmm. is going to have to figure out how they pivot and how they think about the audience interaction and engagement in a different way. Well, one of the things I, I want to touch upon is kind of what are the opportunities to do things in this new format that you couldn't do? Because one of the things about uh, for instance, a conference is like, sometimes you'll sign up for a panel and it'll be full. You know, sometimes like you won't be able to make it physically there. So you can't go at all. Sometimes like you want a really intimate moment with the speaker and you can't have that because there's so many people like, what are the types of things that you actually think could thrive with these constraints as opposed to like chasing to replicate something you can't? Yeah. I mean, capacity is a really interesting thing because on the one hand, suddenly you know, you can only fit 10,000 people in this one space. And now you can have, you know, hundreds of thousands of folks consuming your content because Millions. it's digital. Yeah. Like you can do that. Part of the challenge to our earlier question is how do you, how do you create community amongst those folks once it scales? How do you scale community? How do you scale that feeling, right? If you're sitting in a session and you hear Michelle Obama deliver the most incredible, incredible speech, right? How do you scale that feeling amongst a bunch of people when they're not physically in the room? And I think Netflix does a great job with this. Like when you think about just the production value and the storytelling and all of those things about how can you still feel that? Um, it's tough from an event perspective because if we go back to networking being the most valuable currency 
of the gathering. Um, if you have 10,000 people on one Zoom or in one networking session, it's not valuable anymore. You can't get that FaceTime. It's not personal, right? If you only have 45 minutes, there's literally a finite amount of questions that you will be able to answer. So I think as folks are thinking about pivoting with Q and A's and different like, you know, audience to audience interaction, you have to think about how can you get interactions that scale because that's the value that people are paying for. And if you're going right. to have an event experience that is going to be paid and free, you have to come up with what are those, like, what is that experience? What's, what is so valuable about it? Right? Like what are those things that, that make it worth paying when again, you have a library of content on free. Or, you know, you charge a ton less and just have many, many, many more people be able to do it. And that's how you pencil it out. You know, I mean, I guess it kind of matters. Like what are the, what's the point of the gathering? Exactly. And what are your goals as a business? Because there's there are plenty of conferences who have just done free virtual conferences and it's like, Hey, we're doing this. This is what it's going to be. And it might feel more like a webinar or something like that. It depends about, it depends on the type of experience that you're looking to create. Um, and so I think that's, that's the thing that's interesting. Cause if you're looking to build something that is truly community first, that is truly immersive, that truly has legs beyond a one-time moment. If you're looking to build something that doesn't feel like it's reactionary to COVID, but feels like a genuine step moving forward to update an entire business model, you have mm -hmm. to think about it completely differently because it is now a new element of an experience. It's not a placeholder just because we're not meeting in person right now. It has to have more of a purpose. That's the key. It's like all the things that you innovate as a business right now in terms of events, those are things that should be carried over into whatever the future of your business is. And that's the whole point of pursuing them and exactly. putting a lot of thought and kind of effort into them and, and getting feedback from your community all along the way. So I love this idea of co-creation. Well, I think that like that is, that you've given us a lot to think about. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think are going to be really changed. I think events is the primary way of getting out the house. Like what does it mean just in general for you to like, as an attendee, what events are going to kind of catch your eye in the future? Yeah, I think for me, it's going to be, I think it's going to come down to the feeling that those events like previously evoked within me, right? So I think about the things that are keeping me sane throughout this whole thing, right? I'm going back to like, okay, like, um, I remember how great it was to see Anderson Pack in concert and I'm just going to listen to this album because it's going to bring me back to this moment in time of his live show and what it felt like to be there and to hear the music like that. I think for me personally, once we're able to gather again and to have moments like that, I think those are going to be the first types of experiences that I will be looking for. Things tied to memory, things tied to physically getting me through like this time um, and people and events and, and, you know, convenings that feel deeply meaningful and purposeful, right? I think those will be the first things because to your point, like this is the new normal. Uh, nothing, nothing is the same. Nothing is the same. Concerts will forever be changed. Ball games will be changed. Events will be changed. Stepping out outside of your front door will be changed, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, you know. That inertia point is so much higher now. You know, exactly. Exactly. And it's on a practical level too. So it's like, even like, if you're going to be, if you're going to be in a concert place or like a venue with a mask on, right, you're going to act a lot differently than you would if you didn't have a mask on. Um, also, a lot of places aren't going to exist anymore. Mm. And just, and just by nature of that, things will look different. 
there's a place here in Boston called Great Scott and anyone who went to school here saw at least one, two, three shows there because that's where like everyone ends up playing there. It's kind of like a dive bar, but it's like a, an institution here. They've been around for over 50 years and like they're closed. They're out of business, right? They're done. They're done. They're, they're done. It's been announced. People are reporting it. Everyone is very sad. There's a lot of, you know, famous musicians who are like, I remember playing there. Like, this is really sad. This is a sad day for musical history. But point blank, a lot of businesses will not survive. A lot of communities won't survive. And because of that, things will be different. And I think it's going to add a new layer of meaning and connection with any type of gathering that you have when you decide to step outside your home. And it might mean that it takes that much more for you to take that step. Like, it just might mean that, okay, for me to actually leave and do something because I've proven to myself over the 60, 70, 90, whatever days that I'm okay with being at home and that I figured out a way to deal with it, that it's Mm -hmm. really going to take something special to get me to leave that safety. It's going to feel like a risk every time you leave out. And so you're going to think to yourself, like, all right, like the age of question, who are you going to risk it all for? Right. And I think that, like, that's what's, I mean, all my Fridays inside with Trey, like that's proves to me that like this is actually okay. I mean, like yeah. it's not what I planned for, but it's actually not as bad as I thought, and it's certainly better than being ill exactly. um, or getting someone else sick. How do you think that this changes your willingness to experience things virtually? You know, it. it I mean, it, it does expand your options at the same time as it contracts them, right? Same. Yeah, a hundred percent. And for me, like I remember when I first said to to folks, like we're gonna do these classes on Zoom, and it's gonna be great. And what people told me was no one's doing it on zoom we hear everyone's doing instagram live this seems weird why would we use like a tech like meeting software to do this i got a lot of pushback from people and then we went through the first week and we saw how people liked and that we could build community and then everyone got on board so i do think with all things virtual um you know, this is, this is the new world, right? Folks are approaching everything differently now because it's like, wait, I don't have, I don't have basketball to watch. I don't have this to watch. So actually, yeah, I am going to, I am going to watch a bunch of people play a video game on TV of fake basketball because this is the realest thing to me right now. And I've changed my perspective in terms of what sport means. Everything is being redefined right now. Everything is being recreated. Everything is being reimagined. And there's something really exciting about that, but there's also something, I mean, sad because it means you're saying goodbye and you're letting go of a lot of previously held notions and expectations. So that was great. It's always such a pleasure to talk to Heather. Um, I'm so uh, in awe of you and what you've been able to accomplish and build there in Boston. And I'm so excited to see how Inbound uh, is able to rebound um, from this coronavirus. Sorry for the pun. You know I couldn't help it. Um, And so what are some key takeaways here? I think that one of them is to kind of leverage your community. Uh, One of the things that Trollfit's been able to do, and I've seen it with my own eyes, is they have provided a space that people love to be a part of. They love Heather. They love the instructors. They love each other. It is a community. And so when, you know, a community is under um, threat, I think you really need to leverage that community that you've built in order to kind of allow yourself to experiment and allow yourself to kind of build something new. Uh, And I think that that is really evident by what she discussed about people aren't canceling their memberships. When you actually have built a community and you can leverage that community to do something that is hard, um, that you can count on those people. Um, And so I think that's a really important thing to remember from her comments. Um, Another thing is test. 
test, test, test. I mean, this is not about, I know exactly how this is going to work and I'm going to roll it out seamlessly for everyone to enjoy and they're going to love it. This is about kind of experimentation uh, and allowing yourself to prototype and to co-create with the people that you want to provide the service for, whether that's for, you know, all the people that you know for your own business or, you know, the community of tens of thousands of people that you've cultivated over time. Um, really allowing yourself the, the space to try out new and creative things that, who knows, might become a part of your permanent repertoire uh, and offerings for um, your community. And then I think that this idea of co-creation I also want to stress. This is not unilateral. In fact, I think that sometimes the communities that we serve actually have the best ideas, you know, and all it takes is us kind of asking them and creating with them and saying what will serve you um, and what will serve uh, a wider group uh, in a new way on a new platform. And so I think those are all extremely good points. And also just kind of looking to other industries, you know, looking at Fortnite, um, uh, which is a video game platform, but has been able to really leverage in a gigantically scaled way um, kind of how to gather people and do kind of events in some way. And I think that, you know, whether you're working in events yourself or, or some other kind of industry, I think it's important to understand what people who uh, are doing right, even if they're um, not really related to what you do. I don't know nothing about Fortnite, but I do know that there are some things to learn uh, in terms of how to leverage a, a digital and virtual space. Um, so just look at where tight shit is happening and go from there and see how you can incorporate it into what you do. Um, so thank you so much. Please follow Heather, um, Heather White and Trillfit. Um, look out to see what Inbound is going to become in 2020. It'll be a very interesting um, test case for how these large events kind of move forward in the future, uh, in the short term and the long term, you know, to be honest. Um, please check back this week. We have two other exciting guests, Damon Turner and Whitney Richardson. Thank you so much and have a great day.